This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to a stripped media crossover special. Song by song by Flixwatcher. I'm Helen Sadler. I'm Kobe Omanaka. I'm Sam Pei. And I'm Martin Zoltz-Holstwick. And we're about to watch Seven Psychopaths, directed by Martin McDonough. Zach? Yeah. All right, listen, why don't you just tell me whatever you want to tell me and I'll go make us a coffee. How about that? Tea. Huh? Tea. Tea. Why not? Well, uh, I guess... Uh, <clears throat> It all began back when I was 17. I, uh... Existed this some time. I, well, I, I... I was a little wet behind the ears back then. I don't mind admitting it. Uh, but I was uh, burglarizing a house of this judge down in Delacroix. And uh, let me tell you something. Don't never burglarize a house of no judge down in Delacroix. When I went down into his basement, do you know what I found down there? Thanks, as always, to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes. This is a crossover between two podcasts from the Stripped Media Network. So if you enjoy any part of either show, make sure to write a review and rate both Song by Song and Flix Watcher on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get podcasts. You can join the conversation on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and at SongbySongPod. Or on Instagram at FlixWatcher and by visiting the website songbysongpodcast.com. So whether you're a FlixWatcher listener or a Song by Song listener, either way, this is going to be a little bit unusual. So let's introduce ourselves. Uh, my name's Sam Pei. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Song by Song podcast. I'm a, an actor-musician based in South London. Um, I was a film student for uh, a long time before I uh, went into the, the other side of the, the camera and the stage, as it were. Um, and yeah, we've been doing Song by Song for the last five-odd years, working through uh, the music of Tom Waits. So I'm Kobe, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Flixwatcher podcast alongside Helen, who will introduce herself shortly. And we've been doing Flixwatcher come up to oh, just over three years now we've done 150 episodes and basically guys if you have netflix and have ever struggled to think about what you should watch on netflix then we are the podcast for you this feels a little bit like an AA meeting. I'm Martin Zoltzolstwick, and I am 13 hours Tom Waits free. But that's about to change, because we're going to be listening to Tom Waits. Hi, Martin. Uh, I've been making Song by Song with Sam for, as, as he says, nearly five years. Um, I make other podcasts as well. Uh, you might have heard my music on The Illusionist, or in episodes of 20,000 Hertz. The 
theme music to the podcast 90 Minutes Less Film Festival, uh, another stripped media uh, network show, uh, was, was written by me. And also, you did the, you guys did the theme tune for The, um, the Wire Stripped oh, as well. yeah, of course. Yeah. We should say we didn't write the theme no, song for The Wire Stripped. That's, that's but we important. <laughs> Tuba by, yes. <laughs> And yes, and I, I am Helen, and Kobe's kind of said everything about Flix Watcher, and uh, I really like cats. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we, uh, we usually talk about a very specific topic on Song by Song, namely the music and music of film Tom work of Tom Waits, exactly. Um, and now, as I understand it, Flix Watcher, your guests usually choose a film from Netflix, and then you have a conversation about it. Um, but in this case, circumstances have made the choice for us, as there is only one Tom Waits film currently on Netflix. So, uh, well, there's, there's, discussion there's two, but we've already done one of them already. Oh yes, so. of course, mm. yes. Well, so we're we're not doing then the Ballad of Buster Struggs, and uh, this is a shame because it's a bloody great to. film. Well, song by song, listeners, we will get to it at some stage. Give our take on it. You can nip over to uh, Flix Watcher and uh, get their impression. But for our conversation today, we went with uh, the only option available to us uh, seven psychopaths by uh, martin mcdonough um would uh, anyone like to usually, usually it's your guests who give the synopsis on flicks watcher isn't that right would, would one of you guys care to uh take a swing at uh synopsizing Oof. i haven't prepared for this i can have a go and if it sounds rubbish then um martin will, <laughs> we'll will chip edit in. out yeah exactly well yeah chip in exactly <laughs> we, yeah normally we, we give people a time frame for the synopsis but we're a bit more loose here um so the seven psychopaths tells the story of nominally seven psychopaths set in with it is within the kind of constraint of a film being made so colin farrell is a film writer script writer and he's surrounded himself by a few friends one of which is uh, sam rockwell i apologize i do not know any of the character names um so uh, uh, we've got we've got Colin Farrell playing um, uh, Marty. Yeah. Um, An got... obvious analog for Martin McDonough, the exactly. script writer, director of the film. <laughs> Marty Farrenden, I think, is the name that he gives himself. And then uh, Co- uh, Sam Rockwell is playing Billy, his, yeah. uh, his actor friend. And um, Marty is, is an alcoholic and struggling to get a film idea together. And his friend, uh, played by Sam, is trying to give him, give him, give him tips by uh, suggesting, well, suggesting psychopaths so he could write write his film around and uh, lo and behold he's one of the worst psychopaths of them all and the film kind this of will contain spoilers we yeah. should say <laughs> <laughs> yeah we will contain spoilers and it's kind of a meta story isn't it because the, the film's actually kind of playing out as as Sam and Marty are kind of talking about it it's kind of a weird construct for a film isn't it mm. yeah and somewhere in there as well there's um, the case of a stolen dog <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's very, very dog centric. Um, one of the uh, one of the psychopaths played by Woody Harrelson. Uh, oh no, he's not one of the he's not one of the psychopaths. Yeah, he's it? psychopath number three. Oh, he is. Okay, yeah. oh, he just them. seemed like he just seemed like a mob. But I didn't think he was a psychopath. Anyway, Sam, I thought you'd, I knew you'd, I knew you'd list the psychopaths. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I've got I've got a whole uh, I've got a whole <laughs> spreadsheet here. Um, yeah, he's a, a Woody Harrelson character. Charlie has um, lost his dog, or rather, his dog has been kidnapped, um, and an awful lot of the plot seems to revolve around where this dog is. Is who has the dog? Charlie trying to get the dog back. It's a, uh, it's very canine centric. Of course, um, Sam Rockwell's character Billy Bickle has kidnapped the dog, and we initially think that's because he's part of this scam where they, he and Christopher Walken, kidnap dogs and then and then get the reward money. Yeah. But it later, later transpires that uh, Billy Bickle is sleeping with the mob boss's partner, wife, girlfriend, yeah. and has done it deliberately. He stole the dog deliberately to piss off Woody Harrelson, which seems like a 
bit of a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> I think a fair, a fair few things that my, uh, Sam's character does in this film can be can be categorised as can be summed up as a bit of a dick move. <laughs> yeah, six psychopaths and one arsehole. I think is really the. Uh... <laughs> Well, it's also misleading, isn't it? Because there are seven psychopaths, but it points out that psychopath number seven is the same as psychopath number one because we see... You feel so changed. In the first reel, don't we, being the Jack of Diamonds, and then later it's like, oh, it's the same way that we saw earlier on. You do feel a little bit cheated. Yeah, where's my seventh psychopath? (laughs) Well, I mean, very much so. I think we are are meant to uh, assume that the seventh psychopath is possibly the main character, um, Colin Farrell's character, Marty, surely. That's the... uh, Well, but is Christopher Walken's character listed amongst the psychopaths? No, he is not. Oh, no, he is. I'm sorry. No, because he is he is the Quaker psychopath that we see yes. uh, number two, the the, the Quaker psychopath uh, mm, as played right. by Harry Dean Stanton in yeah. Harry Dean Stanton. Fantasy. But this actually, cast is stacked, isn't it? So many so many fantastic actors and performances in in this film. There are, I think that's something I can say positively about this movie. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. They have all these people who don't play that big of roles, and obviously, this is one of the, the reasons we're here because Tom Waits is one of these um, one of these roles in this film. He's not a named. Uh, one of the headlining actors, but he's oh, he's Tom Waits and he's in this film and he's, he plays a quite a cool role actually. I I didn't remember his role in this film at all. I'd seen this film like you once before, and I had no recollection of his role. I did not. It's, but it's surprising because <laughs> it's a very memorable character yeah. and performance. He's this this psychopath who appears with a little kind of cradling a bunny rabbit, <laughs> um, and, and and we hear his backstory, which is that he's he's gone on a killing spree to kill serial killers. Um, it's very original. Uh, it's be- I mean, the way that story starts. So beautifully yeah. told, and you know the way he finds his, his, his partner in, in crime and rescues her from this, this abusive judge in the south. And the rabbit belonged to the Zodiac killer. Yeah, <laughs> they killed the Zodiac killer, and and uh, he got upset uh, that his, um, his partner in crime uh, and 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 love uh, in uh, love of his life was going to hurt the rabbits in burning down the Zodiac killer's house. <laughs> It's a very weird sequence. Like, obviously, when Tom Waits arrives, like, uh, I, I, uh, for professional reasons, but also for personal reasons, um, you know, I, I, I get excited and I tune in. And him sitting in that, um, in that uh, living room telling the story, I totally agree. It's very beautiful and draws you in. And I think the film is then trying to yeah. play with your attention and your emotions by then delivering sort of a, a mostly silent or at least um, uh, unscored by music, but with no dialogue depiction of uh, uh, Zacharias played by Tom Waits and his love Maggie as played by Amanda Warren doing the most horrific visceral explicit murders of various different psychopaths throughout mm. uh, you know the the following 40 years odd and it's really disgusting like <laughs> i was totally repulsed by that sequence yeah. it's horrible it's really very horrible. inventive though i love the i love the way amanda warren's character just comes out when they face the zodiac killer just jumps out of the car with a with a with a machete, machete. And, a, and a and a gun and just screams him into the house and I just thought that's great I like I like that this I mean you talked about violence this doesn't this does not hold back at all was it this must be an eighteen uh, I think so, for the yeah. language and <laughs> no I think it's a PG was <laughs> a fifteen no it's a- really yeah wow it's incredibly violent and I find the violence in this pretty unpleasant generally I think there's a really interesting thing that I've started to notice in these sorts of films um, which is the way it sets up who we do violence to and that we feel okay about the what happens to the Zodiac killer because we know that he's a cool yeah. murderer. And so, and the terrible things that happen to him as a result of Maggie and Zach- Zachariah, you may, you're not necessarily meant to think that's 
horrible. You maybe not meant to feel ambiguous about it. And it's interesting that I was trying to work out in the very first, very early part of the film, um, Colin Farrell and Sam Rockwell go to the cinema. And I was like, what movie are they watching? That looks like a big Takeshi film. Uh, And it's Violent Cop. (laughs) Uh, Takeshi Kitana's directorial debut, which is about a cop who is kind of tracking down uh, his... um, quarries through through violent methods which is interesting it has another kind of commentary on the film of like who is it okay to do violence to who is it okay to set on fire there's no it's never an, an accident when someone puts a film in their film and he's a, and and that must be some comment on saying like this is the sort of film i would like to no. make something that is violent and explosive and involves punching people in the face but is considered art this i mean you talk about the violence who the violence is acted on i guess we yeah. see the, I mean, the most tragic tragic uh, victim of the violence was um, Hans's wife, Myra. Um, yes. That's an incredible we, scene. I think that might be the best scene in the film. Yeah, it's so, it's so tense. Because I, I couldn't remember what her name was. And um, and you can see Woody Halston kind of unravelling. And he's like, oh, okay. So, so you're the wife. Obviously, he said in uh, less... Um, Less less kind terms. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, but then it's just, but she, the way she holds herself, I thought she's, I thought she's brilliant. I love to see. I haven't seen her in other. I, I don't know. I don't know the actor's name. Uh, uh, Linda Bright Clay Linda is Bright the, Clay. Uh, yeah. the actor's name. She but, is fantastic. But that was such a tight, a tight scene. I, I thought it's so great. I mean, it really reminds me of that scene in um, the big uh, partway through True Romance, right? Uh, where the and I forgot who plays who. So this is going to be rushing. Is it? Is it? Um, Dennis Hopper being menaced by Christopher Walken or the other way around. It's the mob yeah. boss trying to... Yeah, Dennis to Hopper's his father and Den- yeah, Christopher Walken is the, is, the mo- is the mob boss, is the mob guy. Right. Yeah. So so um, Christopher Walken's trying to get information from Dennis Hopper about the whereabouts of his son and Dennis Hopper essentially goads him into such anger, Christopher Walken into such anger that he shoots Dennis Hopper and kills him before he can give away any, any information. So, and it really reminded me of that, that kind of quiet tension. The character's are kind of facing off against each other. There's a battle of wills. Although with this, there's this wonderful section at the beginning where uh, Woody Harrelson, who isn't particularly, especially bright character, no. hasn't worked out what's going on and he's just kind of doing weird wheelies in the wheelchair around the room. <laughs> it's, it's this very kind of weird, playful energy, but all the time you know that Myra knows who he is and what's going to happen and that she's in immediate danger and, and you know, is she going to get out of it? She doesn't, doesn't know. And when she realises that he's... He's dangerous. She she doesn't flinch from that danger. She mm. she again goads him into, you know, killing her essentially. And it's it, it's a very powerful scene that, and, and it's a scene that's echoed a little bit later, less convincingly by Colin Farrell when he's, he says, you know, I don't care that I don't have a gun. I'm not. He's you know he's not afraid of the of this guy with big guy with a gun just because he's yeah. got a gun. I think the the way that the scene you were mentioning um, worked so well is that basically uh, Myra is the person who's kind of accepted you know their death she's kind of you know you feel that she's been quite close to it before and is kind of sort of clinging on and sort of in her expression she almost kind of makes peace with everything before um, he you know blows her brains out so it's it's a very it's a very high contrast between what happens next which is is kind of what martin mcdonough does a lot in his films in other films as well like in Bruges there's a lot of those contrasts of those kind of very beautiful reflective moments and then complete yeah. carnage or insanity <laughs> how did you um, how did you guys feel about the 
the the the extreme contrast in this film because it is effectively a film that is split down the middle and spends a significant time amount of time talking about that split and talking about you know the the kind of film that it wants to be or that you know the 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 martin marty you know character Mm. director writer wants to make when i first watched this i came out of the cinema kind of like dancing around thinking oh that was that was so fun i really enjoyed that um but i think this time i found it a bit harder a bit a bit bit more bitter pill to swallow um because it was it was i think you said like the thing that's thing is all over the place and i love sam rockwell but i just thought i just couldn't get his character really i didn't understand obviously he's a psychopath, but then the word psychopath has been thrown around so loosely in this film. It doesn't actually, yeah. what, what, what psychopaths don't all go out and kill people for just for shits and giggles, which is what it sounds like in, in this film. Also psychopaths don't have empathy. And it sounds like Tom White's character, just to pick one of them. Like mm. he does have empathy. He's a very empathetic character. Like Sam Rockwell, you might argue isn't, is a psychopath. I don't think that, um, uh, Woody, Woody Harrison's character is a psychopath. I think it's just his job. Like, if he was a gangster who didn't treat people, he wouldn't be very good at his job. He has to intimidate people and he has to use violence no. because that's his that's his industry. And Hans Christopher Walken is not a psychopath. He's exacting revenge on the loss of a, of of, the, of, the, of their daughter. So I found it harder to take this time around. There's some set pieces, and Martin McDonough and his brother have a way with words which works well on the screen. But yeah. I think it just didn't. It was just a bit silly sometimes just didn't kind of hang together uh, in the way I think he wanted it to. It's interesting that you're like that because I'm the opposite way around because I saw it at the cinema and came out of it and I hated it. I thought it was terrible. And Mm. um, when you suggested that we watch this, in my head, (laughs) I had a completely different film about um, what this film actually was. So I was watching it going, this isn't what I remembered it. And I actually got a lot more out of it this way around. But I think... The, the key the key bit is that you mention it. I think the first time round, I one of the reasons that I hated it so much is that all of the women in it mm. were awful. Yeah. But then they're awfully written in it because they've been written by a man. Yeah. And that's kind of a comment. So I got that more on this time round and having uh, rewatched In Bruges as well, mm. I didn't like that the first time round. But having since rewatched it, got a lot more love for it i don't know whether i've just kind of got used to him a bit more um his style of filmmaking he even comments it later on in the when they're in the desert hmm. um you know uh when they're commenting on marty big scare quotes his script and they're like oh you know these characters these women characters are terrible and he's like oh well, women have it it's a hard world for women and christopher walken says something like yeah but most of the ones i know can string a sentence together yeah exactly. which i just thought was good but and, and i was watching with my wife and she was like yeah but that's still not an excuse for not writing good women characters like yeah. you can't just comment on it and be like oh yeah yeah it's a thing i do i'm sure writing women it's yeah, like no 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 no, no 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 <laughs> And, My- and Myra is a good woman. And I think Myra is a good woman character, but she gets killed really quick. I think that this is how I felt about an awful lot of the um, of the, the character of Marty, that <clears throat> while I think that actually um, uh, the, the performance by Colin Farrell is really good, I always like Colin Farrell when he's using an Irish accent. I think that's my, uh, my, my defining feature. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah, but, the, um, but it did feel like it was giving Martin McDonough, one, a very cool... Um, uh, presentation of himself on screen and to it felt like he was like giving himself a pass by pointing to all of his flaws but not necessarily changing any of his uh his habits in the film like it's having his cake and eating it yeah 
saying, I want to make a much more introspective, just a bunch of people talking to each other in the desert. But that's not what the film rests on fundamentally, is it? But also they don't even do that. Like they don't really talk about anything. They talk about how there's going to be this big shootout yeah, and, exactly. and how, how ridiculous, it is, ridiculous it is that Sam Rockwell's written this big shootout and then there is a I mean, it's actually the shoot, the real shoot, the real shootout. I guess is referring to the ridiculousness of the stereotypes shootout and making it a little bit more interesting and funny and weird. And you know, when the guy with the shotgun is just like, "I'm not shooting that guy over a dog. Mm. Don't be ridiculous." You know, yeah. it, and it's and that's something that both McDonald's do. They do deconstruct stuff. But to me, the whole film, it felt like an older film. Like it felt like it wanted to be a Tarantino film. Yes. I felt like in the mid '90s, there were so many of those films that were postmodern. Uh, self-referential had characters that would talk about what the burgers were like in France um, you know liberally throw around like sexist and racist language which obviously Tarantino loves to use but this is 10 years later like why is why did Martin like I think Bruges is a much better film like well, I don't know why Martin yeah. McDonough took on these tropes that are like old and dated at the point that he made this movie I agree with you. I think he could have done a similar kind of story in a film, but just a, a more nuanced. And it wouldn't have taken, detracted away from anything. He could have shot it the same way, um, get by the same actors. Uh, some of the, yeah, some of the language was just off-putting for me at some points. Yeah. And the that point when I loved how Christopher Watkins' uh, hands called him out on the script. And I think within, within the meta nature of the film, it could have almost written like, oh yeah, from now on women in this film will have an interesting storyline right. because they, yes. could have, they could have acted that, upon it yeah they could have, exactly yeah. i mean but, it's just like it's 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 such a cliche for like a second film from a screenwriter slash director to be about how you can't write, write a second film and it yeah. reminded me a little bit of adaptation very much so which arguably is a better film because it, it i mean just because it did it first the weird thing about this film is that i i, I think it's like it's directed really well. The cast is great. The direction is great. It looks great. It's exciting. The pacing, the editing. It's just like it's let down by the source material, which is weird when it's the same person writing and directing the bloody thing. Mm. It does feel a, a bit like pastiche of a lot of films that you've already mentioned and that yeah. it's kind of taking bits from from Tarantino, from True Romance, from Scorsese. wherever, and just kind of like mixing it all together in... In, in one way it's sort of this kind of half homage to Hollywood and then the other way it's kind of like this funny thing about or oh, as a psychopath a psychopath kind of thing with like a bit of sort of bizarre humour thrown in just for good measure. I do remember laughing about when um, in Sam, um, what's Sam Rockwell's character called again? Billy. Uh, Billy. Billy. Billy Bickle, presumably after Travis Bickle because there's yeah, that wonderful so. taxi driver scene early on when he's like talking into the mirror. It's like, well, I didn't quite hear you. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, Jeff. Is it, the bit, is it the bit where he keeps his boots on? No, Billy's rendition of um, the shootout that would happen in the graveyard and, he, yes. and the head explodes. And then uh, oh, he, yes. cut to, he cut to Hans and Marty like... <laughs> But seriously, though, head doesn't explode. Is that possible? <laughs> Maybe if it was made of explosives. Yeah. <laughs> my my favorite, one of my favorite moments in the entire film was cutting to Christopher Walken. I assume you know an outtake or something between shots where he's just pissing himself, laughing <laughs> while <laughs> while Sam Rockwell. Delivered. I think. I mean, I genuinely think as well, though, and, and it is worth saying, it is a 
pretty film. Uh, it's it's mm, yes. visually it's, exciting. Joshua Tree looks amazing. I would recommend. Superb, superb. Going there and as I, well. <laughs> I think it's got some great performances. I yes. think that that Sam Rockwell monologue is totally up there as an incredible moment in, like you know, postmodern cinema. Maybe not uh, an innovative one, but it's incredibly well executed. And, and Rockwell's performance, as ever, is brilliant. I really like Tom Waits telling the story before we go off into the fantasy sequence, mm-hmm. and I really like the three of them in the car Christopher Walken um, Colin Farrell and Sam Rockwell that conversation that they're having about not the first time they introduce not having a shootout and going off into the desert I'm I've talked about this a bunch in 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 the films we've been watching over the last uh, few weeks I really like spending time with these characters and then I come back to the plot the meat the events of the film and I go oh that's 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 a slightly disappointing well, it's just it's just unsatisfying if the plot of a film is how do we make a commentary on violence which is ultimately spiritually satisfying. And the film yeah. spends so long doing that and parodying that idea like, oh, can you have this monk, you know, be a, be a religious guy and, you know, whatever. Um, and it doesn't ultimately succeed that well. Like even the idea that, that, that there's this character, the psychopath monk, and the twist is that it's all a moment of flashback. In a kind of Jacob's Ladder style thing, and actually they're they're uh, you know immolating themselves in protest for the yeah. for the Vietnam War, and it's sort of just like I don't know, like you can't draw upon that kind of really. It just made me think about how f- by thinking about how much weight that act had in the real world. Yes, mm. it just made me think about how flimsy the film was. Absolutely, I think we we've recorded um, Reservoir Dogs. I'm not sure whether it'll be released before this comes out, and yeah. th- that was a lot of. I think a lot of what Madonna's trying to do here, like those conversations, my favourite parts of Reservoir Dogs are the conversations between Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth and yeah. the other characters. and, and the, Tim and, Buscemi, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's so, so tight how Tarantino, Tarantino does it. And the film still looks great, Reservoir Dogs, and it still works well. And yeah. you almost forget there are like scenes of violence in Reservoir Dogs that you can't, uh, are hard to ignore, but they're not actually that potent. They're not as they're not as um, uh, explicit as they are in here. You see, really, uh, not, yeah. Because gonna... I remember the scenes. I remember the the, uh, the the famous scene in Reservoir Dogs, the Steelers Wheel scene, mm-hmm. yeah. stuck in the middle with you. Like I just, I've seen that from a couple of times, not for a long time, but finding that scene so intensely difficult to watch. And the, um, because and the, of the menace in it, not necessarily because of the actual act of violence, but the kind of cruelty and the yeah, control that's happening between the characters, it's it's a lot. But then at that point, one one because I say in in the recording, I'm not going to give away what, what happens, but I I heard about that scene and I was scared as a kid to watch it because I was just like I don't want to I don't want to see yeah. that. But when you actually yeah. see the scene, the way they actually shoot it isn't it's the the intensity is like in in the way that it's built up and where it plays out. You don't actually yes. um, see it so not viscerally. The, yeah, not in the gore. It's, it's the build-up to it. That's, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. And I just think um, Tarantino has his best as dialogue well. Madonna, both of Madonna's do dialogue really well, but I think yeah. him in Bruges, there's, there's sparing violence and there's sparing language and the story works out really well. And I think the, the framework of this film just doesn't isn't quite there. I, I think there's this thing of, for me, like, I think you have to construct something to deconstruct something. So, like, de- I mean, in Bruges and the other, I think things like the guard, which his brother made, and, and the um, cavalry, ha- uh, which I haven't seen. Yeah, but they have a lot of deconstructive humour where the drug dealers are kind of remarking on the on the trope. Like, there's a scene in this in, in Seven Psychopaths where he says, "Why would you check the gun is loaded when you loaded it yourself?" You know, little things like that where they're kind of deconstructing the cliches of 
you know, uh, mob <laughs> mob films. Um, yeah. But but there's something to deconstruct in this. If the story is how do I finish this script, that's not a story. No. That's a that's a script writing problem. No. Whereas in, in in Bruges has such a compelling and interesting cent- central story dealing with like guilt and redemption and the kind of th- some of the themes that come in in this film of like do you believe in heaven and hell and ju- and kind of eternal justice like. Well, well, he and he he explores that going in the other direction. Three billboards outside Ebbing's Missouri um, uh, builds the moments of sudden and disturbing and frightening violence on a much more stable and quiet and uh, emotionally satisfying. Uh, drama and right. here it doesn't feel like one it's a good enough idea for a drama or it doesn't commit it it, it, it doesn't spend enough time building that drama mm. so you're somewhere between these two ideas as opposed to like you say martin springboarding off it into something that that shocks and attacks and arrests you as a as a viewer i think you're right i think yeah i think part of it is that it's you'll find it with quite a lot of films is where filmmakers try and make films about hollywood that they end up feeling quite empty and unsatisfying and it kind of feels that they're, they're, they're just trying to do something and it, it's almost like a comment about how Hollywood is so empty and unsatisfying but then they make a film that is so Hollywood <laughs> that it is so empty and unsatisfying and it just feels like, well, what was the point of that? Tell them about what, La La Land, Helen. So I hate La La Land. <laughs> I just think it's awful. Um, and that's a film that makes a comment about Hollywood and right it's a film that's trying to show you how wonderful Hollywood is but yeah it isn't and I don't know I just it it feels that had it not had this whole kind of said say for example had he been writing a book rather than a screenplay Mm -hmm. then it might have been slightly different and that the focus might have been on making these characters um written better yeah. rather yeah. than thinking about how they would f- feel in a film in a screenplay and i i think that part, part of the problem is because he's writing a screenplay and it is this part comment on hollywood and hollywood violence and and that it's very shallow commentary on that like it doesn't <laughs> dig in at all does it i don't think it, i don't think it tries i mean like i say the, yeah. I, I think what happens when you start nitpicking a film it means that you there's something. There's just a seed of it that you don't really, uh, you don't really congeal. You don't really mesh with. And I think yeah. for me, like picking up the word psychopath and the use of it means that I, there's something with this film which I fundamentally didn't gel with. Uh, even though, yeah, uh, I think some films you forgive a lot, and yeah. um, I felt this is a film that has a lot of good things about it, but ultimately. They're slightly, slightly surface detail, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And I want to, I want to forgive it for the um, the three central performances, mm. but um, yeah, uh, and 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 I had a similar experience to Helen, where my memory of this was of massive disappointment um, off the back of In Bruges, and going back yes. to it this time, I found more to like, and I had a really nice time, and and I think mm. particularly Christopher Walken's character. Um, occupies the kind of space that you really allow he's really allowed to live in mm. a, a an extreme a very unpredictable character but and crazily mannered as as Walken always is but he never looks like he's pushing he never looks like he's trying too hard lots of acting but he looks very friendly and relaxed and warm. I I I, mm. I had a lovely time listening to he's him. such an exceptional screen presence yeah, I mean amazing. like well, other actors that do that thing of they, they turn up and they do the thing they do and it's weird and unpredictable like Jack Nicholson I find him very boring to watch whereas Christopher Walken it, there's just he's 
incredibly charismatic. Yeah, there's a me. There are a few scenes in this, like when he sits opposite um, Woody Harrelson's character. I was just looking at him. Yeah, uh, just oh looking God, at him. Yeah, and yeah. then there's the then there's a face off where he gets shot at the end, and he's like, you know, have you got a gun? No, and all that kind of. Um, yeah, I just say raise your hands, and he's like, no. No, yeah. Just, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonchalantly, I, you know what, mate, my wife's dead. I can't be bothered. My friends are dicks. But also that kind of thing of like, just because you've got a gun doesn't mean I mm. do what you say. I mean, you heard that from Murray. You hear that from him. You hear that from Marty later mm. where he's like, don't you wish you had a gun? No, no, I don't wish I had a gun. And that's that's the one way I think and there's any kind of engagement with the idea of like having a gun doesn't make you the best or the most powerful or will get you what you want in life. Um, there is a kind of path of peace. Um, and maybe that was designed to be there to contrast with the the very heavy-handed, like, isn't that what Gandhi said? Kind of, you know, narrative going on. Um, so what what do we reckon of Sam Rockwell in this? And where does this rank in your kind of Sam Rockwell uh, performances? Because he, I think I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of him. I hadn't seen Moon when this had come out. Mm, yeah. um, but every time I have seen him, in, he, it's someone that gets me excited because he can pull these things out of the bag. And- He's a really funny, energetic actor, but I don't know, like, does he have a lot of range? I mean, Moon is a little pr- pretty different, but you think about this and like Galaxy Quest, and he he's, he often plays these big assholes. Showy <laughs> Three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri is a demonstration of his range for me. Okay. Oh, I haven't uh, seen that. So. I, it's I'm, really good. I'm a huge Sam Rockwell fan, and I've seen quite a lot of his films, sort of starting with like Lawn Dogs. Oh, um, yes, he's in Lawn Dogs. Lawn Dogs is great. Yeah, I forgot about that. And he's also in The Green Mile as yeah. well. Um, uh, who else is he in? He just tends to take it back. He's got range. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind yes. is one of my favourites as well. I really, 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 really loved him in that. I thought he was great. And that's another film about, like, you know, the, the shortcomings of entertainment and uh, television uh, that does succeed in deconstructing it as well as delivering and, and explaining the shortcomings of it as well. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot. It's a definitely a lot warmer film <laughs> than this one, um, <laughs> and yeah, it's I I, I like that. Um, yeah, nowhere near the, the violence, but uh, I mean, I like Sam Rockwell. I think more recently he kind of has maybe played it a little bit OTT, but then maybe that's just the characters that he's been given. This would tie uh, with all other Sam Rockwell performances as the best Sam Rockwell performance for me. I'm, I'm <laughs> huge. <laughs> I like I like his slightly more restrained ones. I think he, I think he slightly struggles with the material here. Like I think if he's doing a big character, if it suits the material, but the, the character's not very deeply written. Really, he's just someone who likes to cause mischief. How um, how about uh, uh, your opinion of uh, everyone's opinion of? Tom Waits in comparison to other Tom Waits performances. I was going to say this. This ah. is what this is what's brought us here. Um, I've 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 read. I, I forgot that Tom Waits was in this film before you guys um, suggested it. And yeah, so I thought, oh, I remember an older guy. Was that was that? Was, I thought that was Christopher Walken though. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it was quite surprising when he came in. And I rarely seen him in films, but I, I really loved him in Buster Scruggs. And I went, um, we talk about that. And I think it's a, it a bit as a portmanteau film for Buster Scruggs. Um, everyone's got a different vignette, but his I think was the was the best one. Um, but apart from him in this, and also Imaginarium and Dots Bonassis, I, I can't really think of when I've seen him in film. So I, I defer to you guys. I'd- first introduction to Tom Waits for me was not his music it was his acting in mm. Mm. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula so yeah. uh, <laughs> Fresh Lives the Master <laughs> <laughs> and 
I, I do love him in that. Um, and then also um, Jim Jarmusch's films, I, that's where I, I kind of know him as well. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, I enjoyed him with this. And even though I didn't like The Ballad of Buster Scruggs at all, um, I think I liked him in it. Mm. I mean, I would not to jump ahead, but I would say that I think his performance in Buster Scruggs is my favourite Tom White's performance. I think it's really exceptionally deft and funny and, and yeah uh, he, well he 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 owns that vignette doesn't he? i think yes there's 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 two moments i really like in um in seven Psych- tom waits moments i really like in seven psychopaths the first one is when he starts telling the story and you know by the end of the story that he's talking about traveling around the country killing serial killers mm. uh, but it begins with well i was hanging around in this town in the south and was it Macon? no it must have, you know that kind of like old man way of Grumbly. telling a story yeah. and you're just like is this just some guy wasting his time and like <laughs> colin fowles in the kitchen making a cup of tea or a cup of coffee oh tea he's making tea isn't he um and then at some point in the in the conversation you see Colin Farrell's character kind of tune back in and go, what did he just say? <laughs> it's, it's really, it's a really nice way into the story. And the other one is the, is the bit in the, the kind of the mid credit scene where um, Colin mm. Farrell's character, Marty, has promised to have a dedication or a shout out to um, Maggie to call Zachariah. By the way, is Zach, Zach, is that the same character as down, uh, character in Down by Law? Um, oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, so he's, he's uh, Marty promises to write uh, as a, a recompense for Tom White's character, Zachariah, telling his story. Um, uh, Marty says, I'll write, write a thing into the film so that uh, Maggie, you, with your phone number, so Maggie can call you. And he doesn't. And so you see this end of sort of credit scene uh, of Tom White's, uh, Zachariah phoning up Marty and being like, you didn't, I didn't see my name in the credits. <laughs> and, and what I love about that scene is that the way that they speak both speak is so weird like Tom Waits has got, has got such a weird way of, of, of breathing so you'll have these long breaths and then and then like Colin Farrell's broken he's just like yeah Tuesday's good he's like, barely it's, speaking neither of them are like opening their mouths it's just such a funny scene and so much like goes on within that scene the dynamics of it are, are, are fantastic I think it's one of the better scenes in the film <laughs> and it's just this There's little Liam. like extra in the in the credits there's a really nice story. Uh, I'll, I'll include it as a, a link in the show notes uh, for the song by song edition of this. Um, there's a really nice uh, little fragment of an interview where um, Colin Farrell is talking about the time he got to spend with Tom Waits and what a cool guy and what a fantastic time they had, even though they had these two scenes. And apparently Waits was on set when props came over with a variety of uh, pens because, you know, obviously um, Marty is a writer and so they were you know trying to make a selection for what kind of pen he should be writing his notes with. And apparently Waits came up behind him and peered over his shoulder and said, oh, yeah, be, be careful which one you uh, you choose. They all have stories inside them. You know, you have <laughs> novels and some have short stories. You just, it's, it's, they're powerful objects. I genuinely like I love that, actually. I think that's really cool. That's a really, that's a really that's nice a, way to think about them, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that is a wonderful, that's wonderful. It's also quite a passable impression, uh, Sam. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. I'm doing my, I'm doing my level best. As always, we um, we score a film on uh, FlixWatcher using our patented FlixWatcher store- scoring system. We make so um, much money from that patent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, we we have a spreadsheet. It's 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 all glorious. It's very wonderful. <laughs> um, so um, I guess we will start with. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sam, we'll start with you. Um, so we, we, all the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. Thank you. Thank and the you. first, the first of our scoring is the recommendability. So out of five, how much would you recommend this film? I think I'd give it a um, a solid three and a half. I think it's uh, got enough to recommend it in performances um, and in some of the the, the funny um, little uh, detours that it goes off on, particularly uh, Rockwell's monologue over the uh, ridiculous fantasy shootout <laughs> to say that people enjoy it. I think it is also disappointing and has enough full-on um, uh, excessive violence to, for me to give a few caveats. So, so three and a half. Martin. Uh, I would give it a resounding two, Ooh. <laughs> uh, only because uh, if you're a big fan of like Christopher Walken or Tom Waits or Sam Rockwell or Colin Farrell or Martin McDonough, you should probably watch it. But if you're not, I don't think it's a great film. I'd point people towards In Bruges or The Guard uh, over this one. Helen, um, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go a bit higher. Than, uh, than than Martin, but sort of in the same area as Sam. So I'm going to go 3.7. Uh, I think it's kind of a hard sell anyway, this film, and you have to kind of take a lot of things on board to kind of watch it and sort of reallude to repeat viewing that you, I think in, the, in one go and having come to it cold, you'd be like, what is this you'll either be yeah. like this is the best film ever i've never seen anything like this before it's my favorite film if you've never or, seen a tarantino film sure ex- exactly <laughs> that if, if you've never seen tarantino and you've never seen any of martin mcdonald's films before then you, this would probably be your favorite film that said it, it's not for everyone and i don't think this is i don't think it's a clever a film as it thinks it is and what we've already talked about, what makes it really are the kind of the performances and this kind of strange camaraderie that exists between the main <laughs> characters. Lanterns, Rob, strange camaraderie. So 3.7. Yeah. Rather than it kind of being, having sort of a, a zippier screenplay that it thinks it has. I'm going to go for a four here. I think it's quite easy. It's There will be caveats, um, but I'll be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> watch it and let me know what you think. Um, but I think some people will really enjoy it. Some people won't. And it's, I enjoyed it less the second time. So I think quite a high score for the first one, but I think uh, my following scores will be lower. Too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm just saying watch a lot of other films that you're giving to get around to first. <laughs> There's one or two other films, aren't there? There are a few they've made. Films, put this at the bottom. Is that what you're saying, Martin? If there's a lot of the middle, films, somewhere the in the middle. Yeah, when you like Netflix, when you've watched everything on Netflix, then <laughs> sure, complete Netflix. <laughs> the end of the scroll. Okay. Uh, repeat viewing score, Sam. I had a better time the second time. Um, I also can't imagine going back to it anytime soon. As people have said, I think there's other films that are stronger to go back to. So um, uh, with those two things in mind, I'll give it a three 
um, because I think there are things that emerge on second viewings, mm. but uh, probably not on third. Martin? Uh, I'm going to stay consistent and give it a solid two for rewatchability. How many times have you seen this, Martin? Uh, this is the second time I've seen it. Um, the first time I saw it, I hated it. And this time I hated it. But with caveats <laughs> that I did like some of the performances and I'd forgotten Tom Waits was in it. So that was nice. Um, I just is the most I, consistent I, element of uh, Song by Song, guys. I do think, I do think that um, even if you enjoy it, it's not a deep film. And I don't think there's a ton of stuff where you go back and go like, oh, there was that connection that I didn't spot. There's an Easter egg, mm. you know. You can might spot that it was Violent Cop, but you could just do that by Googling, you know. So, uh, do, you, sorry, do you not this. think that there's there's uh, there's there's dialogue that you uh, you notice more, like um, uh, Woody Harrelson, you know, going, oh, can, can we can we go back to five? Is there no is there <laughs> no, no value in seeing that again? Yeah, those are good scenes, but I wouldn't. I mean, I drew them well enough the first time. Okay, <laughs> Helen. I definitely enjoyed this more the second time round, and I remember it came. I remember it coming on Netflix, and I remember looking at it, going, "Hmm." <laughs> People had generally talked about it quite positively, and I'd always gone, "It's rubbish, it's shit." And then, well, actually, maybe they could be right, and I could be wrong, <laughs> unlikely, but I should give it a go. Um, You're not wrong, so- Helen. <laughs> But I did actually enjoy, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time around, but it is an hour and 50 minutes, which I just not long. remembered. It is, it is very long. Especially when there's only six psychopaths. Yeah, All right. expect the seventh. There's seven, there's seven. But the psychopaths were the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Maybe it's a reflection That's on it. the viewer. The seventh one is yourself, that's the thing. Exactly. Only, only a psychopath would watch this film twice. <laughs> psychopaths is sled. The seventh one's a sled. Uh, <laughs> Helen, what's, what's your repeating score? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if someone said, like, I've not seen it, do you want to watch it with me? I'd probably say yes. Um, so I'd go, I'd go with Sam. I'm going to go for three on this one. I'm not going to rush out and see it, but um, I, it didn't pain me to watch it the second time as much as it did the first time. <laughs> Hearty endorsement. <laughs> Put it on the poster. <laughs> Uh, I'm going for 1.5 here. Um, ah. Enjoyed it a lot at the cinema, a lot less so uh, this time round. I can't see myself <clears throat> rushing out to watch it. Maybe like in in the in the scenario that Helen painted, if someone was saying, "Do you want to watch it?" I'd say, "Yeah, I'll watch it with you." Do you think um, that's because it's dated, Kobe? Is that just because you've seen it twice, or is it because it's what twelve? Uh, how many years on? Eight years. I think, on? I think if I'd have said if you if I'd Without rewatching this, and I was asked to give a repeat score, it would have been a lot higher. Um, I just can't think of the things I'd take out of it again. The bits I really enjoyed the first time were exactly the same, yeah. um, and the bits I thought were passable were just worse. So <laughs> I loved, you know, there's some of the stories of psychopaths were like, you know, ha- um, Harry Dean Stanton, um, yeah. that mm-hmm. side of things. I thought that was really cool where that was yeah, played I out. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanton, and that was played out to be you know Chris Walken, and and uh, the storyline between Tom Waits and his wife, uh, his um, lover wife, I thought, you know. Zach and Maggie. Yeah, Maggie. So those kind of sort those how those kind of bits played out were really cool. But I think now I've seen them again, I'm like, uh, I, I'm not sure if we can really be bothered, <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> um, maybe once once every eight or nine years, that, that kind of, maybe that's how that uh, that's transpires enough. out to, yeah. <laughs> uh, small screen score. Sam. 
I think that it's fine on a small screen. I think I think more and more, um, particularly because I'm watching more and more things on small screens, um, particularly films like this, where I go, oh, this will be fun. This will be action packed. This will have some smart dialogue, uh, but ultimately won't be something that I need to invest myself in emotionally. I think it's totally okay as long as you've got headphones with your small screen or you've got the ability to turn the TV up a little bit. Um, I have no problem saying that this is for it doesn't need a cinema. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, actually, the the, the things that I do like about this film, film um, I think it looks great and the rhythm of it is great and the sets and the lighting, all of that stuff, like the locations, the, all the stuff in Joshua Tree, I love. So actually, I would say, like, watch it on the biggest screen as possible. Um, I watched it on a 32-inch screen in uh, Airbnb, which uh, 10 years ago I would have said felt like a really big screen, but now feels quite small. So I would have liked a bigger screen. Um, if Flixwatcher listeners want to make that happen for me, I can send, <laughs> send you the address. Um, so I'll give it a four as well, yeah. Helen? Is uh, that going to go on your Airbnb rating, though? When you <laughs> the Tiny too screen, small. too small for seven psychopaths. <laughs> so I saw this at the cinema and um, not even seeing it at the cinema at that time um, would give me any kind of pleasure in my memory of it. Um, but re-watching it i think you're right martin the way it's filmed is obviously there's been a lot of love and care taken into it and you know there is some very beautiful scenery in there but that said i think it's perfectly fine to watch at home so uh i'm going to give it a 4.5 i'm going to go for four join you guys on the four in the four party um it was quite i think i really enjoyed it in cinema but I, th- I was thinking about the scenery. I just think maybe the colour saturation was pr- kind of what made it a bit more cinematic than um, a lot of it. But when there's a scene of Christopher Walken walking through the desert with a big kind of wide shot and, you know, Martin talking about how he how he kind of carries himself, how he moves, that was really, that, things like that were really cool. So it's like, it's the unassuming parts of the film, which I think make it cinematic rather than, you know, the big showy parts, I thought. Because um, I think showy scenes have done have been done really well in things like True Detective um, on a smaller screen. So yeah, four four engagement score, Sam. Well, um, I remained reasonably engaged with this, um, partly because you know I'm 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 watching it for a serious professional engagement. Yeah, we are like, paying uh, for this. this. Yeah, thanks for the uh, <laughs> that'll 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 keep me in chocolate buttons for a good few weeks. I find it. I found it held my attention really, really fairly well. Um, I think it's. I think it's frustrating, but I don't think it's badly made at any particular time. I think, like what we said, the source material lets it down, but uh, the performances are all really strong. Um, I did sort of recoil slightly at some of the extreme violence, but I think. Uh, I don't think we we paused it or uh, went to make a cup of tea. So again, uh, a four, a four. I stayed engaged. Martin. Yeah, I have to I have to grudgingly admit that it's pretty engaging. I mean, sections of sections of it are also quite boring and predictable. But um, yeah, it's a really engaging film. It, it, it the frustrating thing is that sometimes that engagement feels like it's coming through button pushing, like by going yes. like, oh, we're going to describe this big fight out so, like shootout scene, like it's ridiculous, but it's also quite exciting, you know. So it's a, they kind of have their cake and eat it a lot of the time by this sort of you know meta thing. So yeah, I will give it a, a four for engagement. It's an engaging movie. Helen. 
Yes, I'm also going to give it a four. I um, started watching this um, faffing about on my phone and then uh, <laughs> it was so engaging that I had to actually put my phone down and watch it and, and give it my attention. A shocking indictment like, of social media culture. I <laughs> have to uh, actually watch what was going on. So yeah, a four. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go for maybe higher than you guys, 4.5, because I think, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed, I wasn't ever bored. And I remember, you know, with with films of dialogue more so than action, I think sometimes you need to be dialed in or else you're not getting it. Um, and partly because I'd seen it like nine years ago, I think with, like everyone else is sort of when it first kind of came out and hadn't seen it since, which is kind of in, indicative of where we kind of feel with the film. Um, but, I, you know, it pulled me through. And when you, when, when there were the key scenes like with, with Myra and Woody Harrelson's character that I had completely forgotten, it just kind of, it did reward like, paying attention and being involved yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have 4.5. Where does that uh, leave us then, Kobe? An overall score of 3.48125. Yeah, it's pretty decent. Yeah. Three, three, three and a half-ish. Yeah. What's what's average? What's average? Yeah. Is, that above <laughs> an, an, is it an above average film? I mean, I feel like in some ways it's way above average and in some ways it's way below average. So maybe that's fair. Yeah, I think that's, that seems to be the problem here. There's conflicting... There's, there's, <laughs> Great parts about it, the 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 performances, but then there's always like, oh really? That it's not dumb enough to be a dumb movie, and it's not smart enough to be a smart movie. Mm. So I think you're disappointed regardless of how you approach it. It's just like oh, wildly inconsistent. It's like you get into this beautiful luxury car, you put on the sound system, it sounds amazing. You recline in your leather seat, you put on the massager, and then you realise the car's got no engine. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, then you get stuck in traffic in South London. No. <laughs> I thought you were going to say about like a Dolby, you know, the Dolby cassette. That's what you're playing from the 1980s. All you got is Phil Collins. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, maybe that's a better metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you've got is Steely Dan. <laughs> As we say, guys, it's uh, 3.48125. Thank you very much <laughs> to Sam and Martin for joining us again. And that kind of wraps it up from the, from the Flixwatcher side. Sam and Martin, do remind everyone... Where can they find you online? Oh, not remind everyone. Can you tell everyone for the first time if uh, this is the first time you're hearing Song by Song and we're going to guide everyone from Flixwatcher to your podcast? Well, that's very kind. Um, personally, as an individual, I'm uh, at Sam Pay on Twitter. Um, uh, currently not much going on uh, with my life apart from childcare. I occasionally will tweet uh, PlusNet about my broadband signal. But, uh, <laughs> so if you want to tune in for that, then you can, um, you can find me there. Uh, Martin? Uh, well, I'm Martin Austwick on Twitter, uh, which means you have to figure out how to spell my name, and I'm not going to spell it out because that's annoying. And I do that <laughs> approximately twice a day anyway. Uh, so um, I'm sure Kobe will put a link in the show notes. Um, I make music for The Illusionist, amongst many other shows. Uh, and at the moment, we're doing episodes called Tranquillusionists, which are designed to calm you and soothe you to sleep if things are feeling a little bit stressful at the moment. So maybe those are nice ones to check out. Um, as far as the, uh, the the show Song by Song podcast, uh, we can be found uh, on Twitter at Song by Song Pod, uh, or by, you can send us an email uh, at Song by Song Podcast at gmail dot com. We're also on Facebook at Song by Song Show, and we've got a website which is Song by Song Podcast dot com. And for our listeners, Helen and Kobe, where can people find you? Um, so, well, you can find Flix Watcher on Twitter at Flix Watcher Pod. Um, I am. Uh, at the cat film fan on Twitter. Um, I mentioned before, I do like cats. Um, it is me there. But yes, please do come find us on uh, Twitter for Flix Watcher. And I am Cobestar, K-O-B-E-S-T-A-R-R. Just type into Google and you'll find me on 
Twitter, Instagram, because no one else wants to use that ridiculous name, <laughs> Monica thing online. Uh, so I've I've got full full claim to it. Um, but thank you so much, uh, Sam and Martin, for rejoining us on our show. We should say you you guys have joined us before for uh, the Drunken Master and Nice Guys. So nice if you guys, have enjoyed yeah. this conversation, do scroll back through the feed or just type in Nice Guys or Drunken Master. You can hear the guys talking about um, those films. And we've Helen and I have also been on Song by Song independently yeah. as well. So yeah. we are we are sharing a love with the kind of stripped media community and do listen to out for other shows on strip media network uh, including 90 minutes or less film fest or the why stripped we just did a crossover with uh, 90 minutes or less last week so yeah. you can yeah. go back in the time and listen to that if you'd like to absolutely Talking about the film slightly uh in a not very timely <laughs> title it's a film called risk cutters a love story you can probably it's a comedy but you can probably guess that some of the content is dark humor so maybe avoid that if you're not feeling too cheerful yeah <laughs> <laughs> too late for uh, seven psychopaths yeah um, yes uh, and we do actually have a, another film episode coming up next week we have an episode dedicated to the 1992 Francis Ford Coppola film Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, you have to say it in that voice um, and uh, we're going to be joined by Jenny Owen Youngs from Buffering the Vampire Slayer and Helen Zaltzman from Being My Wife and uh, The Illusionist podcast and thanks very much for, for coming on our show again Katie yeah. and Helen yeah very nice thanks so absolute much for pleasure. having us absolute pleasure thank you Bye. That's good. I'm not doing anything she has done. It's something different. It's not like you've been through a ringer. A little. Uh, now... Tuesday doesn't really work for me. Can I get back to you? Sure. I'll be right here. I know. Come on, Carrie. Let's go home, baby. Flix Watcher and Song by Song are both proud members of the Stripped Media Network. 